Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> nice. Well, and you're closed tomorrow through the end of the week, right? Well, the fireplace is a fantastic addition. We're warming our tootsies over here. Grab another one. That would be be awesome. Let's see the cooking. Yeah. They said we shouldn't have to use our heat all along. I believe it because it feels warm in that room. Yeah, it went from 100 and 58 this morning and within half an hour, 70. I just need the heat to travel down here. My ankles turn into ice cubes everywhere I go. Everywhere else is you have fine. long socks? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're, you're just screwed. I'm sorry. Poor circulation, maybe? It's just my feet. <laughs> There's, There's no saving you. Yeah. <laughs> Double layers. Knee high nylons and then the first one. If I like people. I have knitted socks that I wear at home, like, mm-hmm. and I'll put those on and they cover for my ankles. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. Fuzzy socks nice. are the best. I only wear fuzzy socks at home. They I should get some fuzzy socks. You should. Lord knows I always ask her for to borrow her her uh, guest. We call them guest socks now. Guest socks. Guest socks. I'm like I need something to pick on my my feet. Well, today is an important day in any C.S. Lewis fan's life. Right. It's the day John oh. and I forgot again. Yeah, and also Aldous Huxley. Oh, Huxley died today too. Yeah, it was it was Huxley, Kennedy, and Lewis all died the same day. Oh man, it's, it's a it's a trifecta that's that was uh, that's important. Wild. I like C.S. Lewis because he wrote Narnia. Yes, because he didn't. Who doesn't? It was very important. So, uh, yeah. Nina, I've been to the grave. I've cried at the grave. Cried at the grave. We left a little lion at the grave. Oh, and someone left $20 there? And... Pounds? No, I think it was pounds. Was it 20 pounds? 10 pounds? Something like that. And I said, I think you can take that. And I'm like, really? And I took it. (laughs) Like, someone gave it to... Jack doesn't need it. He was going to buy beer with it anyway. (laughs) If you know the quote. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. We were living there and quite poor, so I was like, all right, I'll take this. Take this with my intervention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty special place, that, that cemetery and that church. Yeah, that was a, we, we were there several times at, uh, uh, at the Quarry, Holy Trinity. That's beautiful. In Headington. But, so, today we're going to start with that hideous strength. THS, as it's known in, in, in any of my work that you'll see when I'm writing it, it's THS. Uh, so Nina's like, don't shorten it. But this, this, this is the, uh, it's not like BRB. Um, this is uh, a modern day fairy tale. And I like that. And I think it, if we pulled on the threads correctly, um, and, and David and and uh, Caitlin also mentioned this. I think Paralandra can be seen as a fairy tale when you look at it through the lens of the silver chair. I think there's some definite overlaps there that uh, silver chair, like Paralandra, could also be more. You, you could tell Lewis was moving in his direction at this point. He had he'd gotten to the point where he's like, How is my message best? Oh, fairy tales is the best way to give a message across. Narnia, that hideous strength, fairy tales. And uh, he mentions that that's why it's a little, it's not like out of the silent planet dry, but it's a little dry in the beginning because he has to set everything up. He's got to put the things in place because the dominoes are going to fall. If you don't get the dominoes right in the beginning, then the rest of the book's gonna, not going to fall correctly. Yeah, I found that when he started um, 
because I I've read this before, but it's been a few mm -hmm. years, and I felt that same way. I'm kind of like, all right, all right, whatever, whatever. And I read it all, but then you know when you get to like, kind of when James had her dream, not in the beginning, but yeah. like when she's talking about her dream, and then she's so messed up, she calls Mother Dimble, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. And then she is on her way to Edgestow, and so is, is it the same place? Yeah, Mark is on his way to Edgestow too, right? Is it the same place they're going to? Edgestow's where they live. Okay, okay. She's going to St. Anne's. He was going to Belbury. But, like, I feel this, like, I felt the excitement that I felt when I first read it. Yeah. Like, when she starts going this way, and he starts going that way. I think that's that's very astute to see that there are two roads diverge in the yellow woods. I saw a drone transition shot. Ooh, nice. From the car going over the field, just going over another field, and then there's the train and then in through the window, and then she's sitting there very angry. But I'm kind of poking But this doesn't matter. Yes, but see, you do, you do this stuff. We just enjoy it. So for us, we're like, yes. Do that. <laughs> so I, I thought, since this is a fictionalization of, of Abolition of Man, I thought I might read a little bit of Abolition of Man to kind of set the stage for us on what's coming. The operation of the Green Book and its kind is to produce what may be called men without chests. It is an outrage that they should be so commonly spoken of as intellectuals. This gives them the chance to say that he who attacks them attacks intelligence. It is not so. They are not distinguished from other men by any unusual skill in finding truth or virginal adore to, preserve, to pursue her. Indeed, it would be strange if they were. A persevering devotion to truth, a nice sense of intellectual honor, cannot be long maintained without the aid of sentiment which Gaius and Titius could debunk as easily as any other. It is not the excess of thought, but the defect of fertile, generous emotion that marks them out. Their heads are no bigger than the ordinary, it is atrophy of the chest beneath them that makes it seem so. I love, I love that imagery. It's not that they have larger brains, it's that their chest is smaller, so it's, a, it's an illusion. But illusion that they've bought into. Guys and tissues have bought into the illusion of, oh, our brains are smarter than anyone else. It's like, no, no, your chest is just smaller. And all the time, such is the tragic comedy of our situation. We continue to clamor for those very qualities which... Uh, we are rendering impossible. You can hardly open a periodical without coming across the statement that what our civilization needs is more drive or, or dynamism or self-sacrifice or creativity. In short of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chest, expecting of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. So as we set this up, this for me, and uh, does someone want to read the, the opening, the opening quote to that hideous strength? The uh, old English version. Well, there's, there's a quote at the begin, very, very beginning. I've just got... Uh, what, is there the shadow of that previous... Yes, there you go. I don't have that. It's on the title page. It's on the title page. Mm. There's the bottom. So, so read it again. The shadow of that hideous strength. Sex mild and more is of the length. David Lindsay from On Dialogue describing the Tower of Babel. So that is, so what are we dealing with? We're dealing with language and the devolution of language by men whose self-aggrandizing image of themselves make themselves more important than they actually are. And so that's going to be a theme throughout the book is we have language. And so David, Sir David Lindsay says, I don't know where he got this from, I haven't, gone too far in this, but a six sacks means six. Six miles a shadow the Tower of Babel would cast. That's how big it was. And so we're looking at, this is a Tower of Babel, this is a fairy tale, the Tower of Babel situation 
of creating generations of men without chest go. That's kind of that's kind of what we're doing here. All right. So uh, the first five, six, seven, eight chapters. What do you guys think? Um, besides it being a little slow, what what struck you? What didn't strike you? What themes have you picked up on? Any cannons fired? Do you hate it? Do you love it? I had an interesting moment with it at the beginning of this this time around, where I realized that part of the reason that I didn't get into it as much in the past is that he doesn't save the cat. Um, uh. Either of the protagonists. Um, and that's always a problem for me when investing in story. Mm-hmm. There has to be a save the cat. Uh, otherwise, I have a very difficult time wanting to. to uh, yeah, I'll get there. When to identify <laughs> the character. Like, so, like, when you save the cat at the beginning of a, of a story, you have to essentially give the reader something to latch onto that they like about the character that makes them identifiable and interesting. So, with the save the cat scenario, is like the beginning of films, you'll actually have like a. A character like sometimes they'll be walking back home and then there's a cat stuck in a tree and they're like, oh okay, I'll get it down. They like put up a pole and like let it run down their arm or whatever. Um, so that 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 kind of like just kind action or that kind of thing that makes us so like like Harry Potter talking to the snake. Yes. At the beginning of the Philosopher's exactly. Stone. Okay. That's a great example. Or like. Uh, um, Sort of like Luke in Star Wars when he when he uh, goes to uh, give the droids back to Ben, even though he's not supposed to do that, and then he treats he treats C three PO well and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, even though he's a droid, that kind of stuff. Uh, Save the cat. And these two characters, they you get to like them, but it takes a lot longer. There's nothing striking about them. No, there's nothing striking about them at all, and that's <clears throat> part of his point. Um, and I, I can see why he was doing it, but I do understand now, like reading it, why I and many other people like are put off by the characters right from the start. Yeah, and it's because they're just not very, they're not terribly likable. Uh, they're not unlikable. They're just like there's nothing about them that you're like, oh man, you're you're, you're hard done by, or you you know you got it rough, or I like how you love that person. Right. You know, but. You do start to see glimpses of it as the, as the plot goes on, and that makes you makes you like them more. He kind of what he does instead is he tries to peel back the layers of the character as they're going through the plot. They're like, hmm, I I really want this thing, and you want them to want that thing, and so you see they're like exposing their vulnerabilities yep. here and there. Like when she goes to Saint Anne's and she starts talking to Miss Ironwood, it's like. You want her to be friends with these people. Yeah. And, like, you see her, like, vulnerability, open up, open up. Oh, come on, you can do it. No. And she closes back down. But that actually makes you invested in the character. But it takes till chapter three for you to get there. That's right. So yeah. that's why it's... Because uh, they're they're both dull. Yeah, quite dull. They're, they're quite dull in the, in the beginning. And it's like, what, why should I invest in your life? Why are you telling me you, you guys don't... There's, there's no, It's a loveless marriage... Um, he's an intellectual. She's she's a she's an intellectual of sorts. Now, I, there, there's an interesting point here. That I don't know what to do with it because I haven't really looked into this a whole lot because I can't remember what's been said about it um, uh, necessarily. I'm, I'm going to go back and research it, but there's an importance to John Dunn being the focus of Jane and. I was reading a little bit of John Donne today. He is a metaphysical poet and a really renowned metaphysical poet of the uh, of the 15th, uh, 16th century. And so that plays a part in why she she's focusing on John Donne and why that's and then why she can't complete it. Right? There's a reason why she can't complete. She wants to get back into her dissertation and all, but she can't. She's never been able to get back into it. She thought she could just like riding a bike, I'll hop into it, I'll get right back into it. But then. Uh, dreams and things like that start to start to happen. So um, I know there's there's an explanation for it. I just can't remember it. And if you guys had, had heard that or, or thought about that, I think I looked it up one time. I forgot. Yeah, that's the same here. I thought I, I thought I had a good handle on it, but I started reading. I was like I don't have as good a handle on it as I thought I did. So all right. Um, so they're dull characters. One thing um, about you're going on about Jane like that at the end of them. Um, Chapter three, there where she's leaving um, Siren Woods, Iron Seven, her names. 
even when she discovered that she was going to marry Mark, if he had asked her the thought, but I must still keep up my own life, had arisen once, and had never for more than a few minutes at a stretch been absent from her mind. Some resentment against love itself, and therefore against Mark, for thus invading her life remained. She was at least very vividly aware of how much a woman gives up in getting married. Mark seemed to her insufficiently aware of this. Though she did not formulate it, this fear of being invaded and entangled was the deepest ground of her determination of her determination not to have a child, or not for a long time yet. Mm. One had one's own life to live. Yeah. She's repeating that, one has one's own life to live. <laughs> and she's closing herself off from everything so that she can live her own life. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that she's not living her own life because she wants so desperately to live her own life. And yeah. It's so sad. And, and and Mark's sort of living his own life, too, being a part of the college. That's a, that's a whole nother... That's like... A completely different life over there. Um, well, maybe he'll, he's going to call me at tea time and say it's, he's stuck in a meeting and it's going to go longer than normal. Um, I mean, the communication between them is sparse, <laughs> if, if at all. And, and it's just like, he's over here doing his thing. She's going to stay home and do her thing. She's proud he's not interested. She's resentful. Mm-hmm. She's resentful of being, marriage, of being married. He's indifferent in the sense about being it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So it's like, yeah, what, what, why am I investing? They pretty much just have one talk together through this whole first. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just the one time. Yeah. And they both act as if it's all in the same text. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, it's all. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's. All right, so what, what's your first. So it starts getting good. Um, I mean, the thing that draws me in immediately is when she reads the paper. Yeah, well, I think her story is much more interesting to me. Oh, it mm-hmm. is. <clears throat> In some ways, but that's also because I have an absolute aversion to the kind of people that uh, that, that Mark is dealing with, mm-hmm. and um, the and him. I, I just like I'm like, dude, you're the biggest idiot in the world. <laughs> and sometimes it's, like, it's a terrible it's, hero. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I that, like <clears throat> totally forgot the question. But anyway, no, Jane, you like Jane better than, than Mark. Yeah. By her story's yeah, better. Yeah. Whenever she starts getting into the dream stuff, then I'm like, okay, here's the, here's the fantasy element. Now I'm kind of curious as to what's happening. Um, and also her unsettledness. That's what I like. I like that mm. it shakes her. Yeah. Um, and from an outsider's perspective, of course, you want them, you want the protagonist to be shaken. But that's the last thing they want, right? Uh, which is why it's good. But uh, a little bit of the unknown. Yeah, exactly. Or a lot of bit of the unknown. Um, but also, the thing about this book that's really interesting. It takes the reason it ta- I think the only reason it takes so long to get going is because this is wholly unlike either the, the first two in terms yeah. of character and plot structure. Mm-hmm. You have two, two diverging plots that eventually, you know, but it, with many, many characters, so many characters, by, by chapter seven, it's just like, you're trying to remember the names, and you're like, wait a minute, which one is this guy? Is he the Italian dude? Yeah, that's right. So, so up, you're right. So up to this point, we've had Out of the Silent Planet, which had three characters and yeah. a bunch of non-human characters, but only uh, the the Ross, uh, and then a couple of the Sorns. Yeah, only uh, three names. Oyarsa, and so yeah, and then you get into Perlandra, and there, there's only three people in the entire four of four, if you count. Uh, 
uh, for people, people, and then the, the, the Eldel. And then you get into this, and the narration changes. Now, now we're back to a narrator. It's so constant. In the like, story. Like Busby, <clears throat> Curry. Yeah. Strake, Villastrato. Uh, Featherstone, who also has another Featherstone, name. Featherstone, who has yeah. another name. Yeah. I'm like, um, I have to keep yeah. going back again and again to remember who everyone is. Yeah. I'm starting to get yeah. it, but... Yeah. Frost, Wither. Uh, I mean, oh, Withers. With, with, oh, th- those, 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 never gave a straight answer and just constantly pontificating and making it sound so important and yet he wouldn't say a thing. Right. Yeah, so I, I definitely think for me, what ties, what ties these three books together besides, besides Ransom is the aspect of, of the transpositional language. So I think what you have in Out of the Side on Planet is you have going to find out there is, there is a higher language and what would happen in a world if that language were spoken and there was open communication with the higher language because we're, we're, we're an asylum planet and so we don't have access to the solar language and the, and the, the Oyarsa and the Maleldil and, and direct communication. So our language is going to be stunted. Well, the, the, uh, the um, Malachondrans, they had a, a, their, their language is a little closer to being the, the, the higher to the lower. And then you have the Paralandra, where it's a direct connection to Maleldil. There is no interference. It is the high language. It is transpositional, but it's almost at the same level. And then you come into that hideous strength, and we're right back into the, the, the constipated, uh, um, metaphorical, thalachondrian language. And we're devolving because uh, we're going to the Tower of Babel. So it's about to, language is about to come unglued. Um, through this, and so the theme of language and understanding its purpose, I think, ties all three of these books together and makes it just one one big uh, uh, dissertation on the necessity of of seeing language as higher to lower, not lower to higher. So that's uh, that's that's my that's my soapbox. I'll I'll hop off. So um, Lily was the only one that heard me sing "Into the Unknown." She came over and commented on it. Oh, nice. She's like, I liked it when you sing that. <laughs> I was like, thank you for noticing. <laughs> so the, uh, so we start getting the 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 the, the, uh, the fiction, the fantasy type, when she has a dream, and then the next day it comes true. Um, and then kind of, kind of, yes. Well, like as a, as a dream can as come a dream true, can come true. As, yeah. a, as a dream can come true. So, which I think is one of the things that unsettles her is that it's just close enough, it's, but not yes. exactly. Because if it was exactly, then it would, wouldn't give her any doubt. But it's like, but it pulled off his head. Yes, yeah. and so you can actually go with a little bit of a Sherlockian axiom here when she's trying to figure out is this real or not. Once you've eliminated the impossible, all that remains is the truth, no matter how improbable it may seem. Well. Maybe I saw this guy's face yesterday. Well, maybe I, maybe I did this. Maybe there was a reason why he was in my dream. He's like, nope, there is no other option other than this was a divine, a divine dream. Um, and she's going to have to wrestle with, with this notion, which is foreshadowing things that are, that are to come. And, langu- and, and dreams are also another form of language between the metaphysical and the physical. And so that's another aspect of, of language going on here. Um, did anybody find just, I, I loved it, and it was also a little boring, but I, I did love the, uh, the college meetings and how manipulative they were in the college meetings and how, you know what, junior, so juniors, you guys, we don't have enough money for you guys to eat, we don't have enough money for you to do this, this, and just, they did all the negatives, and they're like, but guess what? We sell this land. If we sell this land... Sales, it's sales. Well, that's what that's what it is. It's yeah, sales. You just creates you create a sense of scarcity, and then you yep. just kind of switch in with the solution. It's nonstop manipulation. I like it's nonstop. He's still like after the meeting with Busby and Curry, and they walk out. He just talks about what idiots they are. Yeah, and they're, they're all haunts. manipulating each other. They're all manipulating. Yes, like, I'm like, how is Mark 
not thinking right now Mark is like, Oh, I'm on the inside with Haverstone and he's not yeah. thinking about the fact that he's being manipulated by him as well. So if you guys have read the entirety of Weight of Glory, this will be of no surprise to you because in membership and the inner ring, you see exactly what's happening. Because once you get inside the inner ring, you find out there's another inner ring. And there's another inner ring. And there's another inner ring. And what you want is you want to be in the inner ring. But every time you go, there's another layer to get to. And uh, so it's... it's read, read the inner, go, go read the inner ring of the membership and weight of glory. And this will totally make... Mark's character will totally make sense to you. Um, but he's not, my, he's not a character that I like really at all. Um, he has no redeeming qualities. Uh, up until the end of the book, does he have, start to have some, some redeeming qualities? Up to this point, he's all about himself. Um, he's an idiot. <laughs> he's pretty much, he's an, he's an idiot. He's supposed, supposed to be a sociologist, yeah. He's, does it come off as a sociologist? Yeah. I, I, he's, I, think, I think if there's one character I don't think is quite well written in, in this book, it might be him for me. Because I just can't imagine anyone that dumb, like really being good enough at their job to do it but I don't know well, it, does, uh, it does some happen sometimes but he's just so dense about that. well here's the thing so let's 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 pull on that because I think that's a that's a brilliant observation um, but let's think about go back to the men without chests right he would be thick if he didn't get the foundational knowledge of how to think or the, the platonic or the, the, the Aristotelian type thinking, he wouldn't have imagination and reason. He would be simply pulled about by every wind of doctrine and just go, whatever sociological theory of the day, that would be what he would gravitate towards because he wouldn't have the ability. He'd be the gelding trying to go out and, 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 and multiply. And you're, but you, you, you can't. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a stallion. You know, I, I, I'm a thorough. No, you're, you're, you're a gelding. And so maybe that's the point. Maybe that Lewis's point is, here's a guy who thinks... He's, he's fertile, but actually he, he doesn't have a chest. He's another one, and he doesn't get the chest until later. Yeah, maybe. I, just, I've, I feel like intuition has to play some part in character, and I just don't see him having any, which is kind of just bothersome to me. But maybe I'm superimposing my own intuition on other people. But like, well, he does have bits of intuition. He's... He just tends to shut them off very quickly. Yes. Very, yeah. So he weighs really his options of like, well, yes. I should go this way, but then again, if I do this, and I can't do this. But my boy brain is coming oh. up. There you go. This. It, this, this is just make-believe. Lizard brain is what it is. Yeah. He's got a, yes. Yeah. Lizard brain. Yeah, the lizard brain. I think that's, uh, yeah, and so that's what you, that's probably another another thing that you that you see in here, but I think it's a fair point to say maybe he's not very well written, but also maybe he's, Lewis is intentionally making him thick. I think he might. I think he might be trying to make a point so much that he like almost made him super stupid. Right. Um, but you know, he makes the point. <laughs> so there's that. Which is, I mean, that's that's a that's a good point. Uh, that's a good point to make because he's not. He, again, he's not my favorite character um, at all. Uh, I do have some favorite characters, but it's it's definitely uh, definitely not. I actually enjoy Featherstone. I actually, I think he's just. I think he's deliciously deviant. Is he a Grindelwald? No, he's. I can't remember. No, he's not a Grindel. He's not a Grindelwald. He's he's not smart enough to be Grindel Grindelwald. He's, but he's just he's just devious enough to stay ahead of the game. He's like he's like the villain from the first Iron Man. Yes. Yeah. uh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's just devious enough to stay ahead of the game until he doesn't. Yes, until he catches up with him. So I think that's uh, uh, that's good. So anything else uh, on this in this very beginning that that strikes us? So um, she she starts having dreams. Mark's uninterested. He's off, and he's get the chance to take part in the uh, this new organization. Um, uh, oh, this is interesting. So Lewis says this is not about Durham. Right, this, he's not talking about Durham, the college. Oh, yeah, yeah, the college. Yeah. yeah. Every C.S. Lewis scholar that I've talked to said, when Lewis says it's not about Durham, you can bet it's, it's about, about Durham. Durham. <laughs> That's exactly, that was exactly verbatim the quotes that I've got for people. 
oh yeah, this is about Durham. <laughs> so this is a knock on the college uh, there. So what is Durham? To, it's 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 just a, another small college. I don't know much about other. I just know that that's a funny thing they keep saying. So I haven't delved in and deep enough and pulled that thread too much. But I think it's. Uh, I hate to think he was being dishonest, but at the same time, maybe he didn't know he was being dishonest. Well, you know, sometimes he says a lot of things tongue in cheek. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he says, you know, in his letters, he tells people, "You you know my work better than I do." He's he's being. Sometimes the British are overly they 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 oversell it to make a point. They don't really mean it as much. I've I had a lot of that happen in, in Britain where they were like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. And like, it's like, uh, no, I can't actually do that. But you said you would. They weren't really being dishonest. They were just trying to be overly polite and accepting. They weren't trying to be devious, but they wound up not fulfilling the thing. And you go, oh, okay. You, you probably had some of that while you were over there. Well, yeah. So um, now we uh, we find out there. Are there are two, there's a dichotomy here, as we talked about. Nina said, Nina brought up the great point that uh, Jane goes to St. Anne's and Studdick goes off to, Mark goes off to Belbury, right? Now, he has a, a, a big thing here because if he takes the job at, at, uh, at the NICE, he loses his, his fellowship. And he is so caught up on the money. I think that's one of the things that just that cracks me up. He's always going, "Hey, um, can I can I get some? How much am I going to get paid? When, when, you know, what's what's what do I what do I get compensated out of this?" Um, his whole thing is is materially motivated about prestige and honor and 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 these things. And Jane's is just worried about what the heck's going on. Something's changing inside of me, and and, and this is this is uh, now. I think what. What can also pull here is, I found this very, very much fascinating, that actually Jane, to me, she's the hero of the story. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think she's the hero. Um, Mark's, Mark is, at best, a, a sidekick. Because <laughs> um, he doesn't become, he doesn't become chivalrous and hero-esque until, in, in, until the end, spoiler alert. But, so you have... You have this thing where the, the woman is, is, so you have the green lady, you have Jane, um, you have uh, Lucy, you have the, 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 the blue fairy, the blue angel, uh, you, and, and I'm trying to think of all the women that, that Lewis elevates through his stories, Oriole, in, um, until we have faces. It's awesome to see a guy who is labeled in today's humanities as being chauvinist and sexist actually in, in these books promoting the feminine quality um, above the masculine quality because as, as David's pointed out guy's a moron um, and so the, and every man in the book actually is a moron except for uh, maybe Dimble and Ransom Dimble and Ransom and uh, the rest of them are just kind of Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> you know, just a, just, well, McPhee is smart. He's, he's, he's really smart, scared. but he's bullheaded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's that masculine quality of being singular minded. He's, yeah. he's, he's, so, yeah, most of them are, are pretty much the masculine is not elevated in this book at all. It's the feminine that's elevated in this book, yeah. which is. Which is interesting. I don't know what part that plays in looking at the language, uh, uh, the language theme, 
Well, in I there. think I got that. Okay. So I think part of the you know part of the men without chess theme that he's got going on here is that the the quality that that these intellectuals are lacking is actually the emotive uh, sort of. Like that vacuum that Mark has, that intuitive just understanding of human nature. And she, and he even points out at one point, Jane is thinking like, I can see through these guys, and he can't. Right. Um, and she knows. She can feel it. Mm-hmm. She's got that connection that like, that like, that's much stronger seemingly in, in women than men in general. Where she just yes. can, she can just read. She just reads the room. She knows exactly what's going on, and she knows. Was she talking about Curry stuff. when he walked in the house? And she's like, "I don't trust him." Featherstone, Featherstone. yeah, she's like, but she ah. also refers to Curry too. Yes, like yeah. I don't trust yeah. these guys. Yeah, when she met up with Curry that one time, yeah, she made a comment about how she. Exactly. And then Mark's like, "What? You know, the, 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 that's that's the duelist kind of the kind of guy. You know, it's like he's like, ah, oh, I'm yeah. thick headed." So I think in some way he's saying in this book there's there's an element to the to the to to femininity that men ought to embrace about about it, but like that then you combine that with the intellectual life and together you actually become a full person. But if you don't, if you leave those two separate, then you just you're you're either an automaton or you're just driven completely by by just feeling. Could we could we say that a man man with a chest is a being that has harmony with both imagination and reason? I would. <laughs> Twere I, would, I would say that, and I would uh, emphatically uh, make that a point of an essay and a thesis. But I digress. So this, it, I think this, it, it, gets to be really, uh, it gets to be really fun when she starts toying around with the fact that she might actually be getting these dreams for, for a reason. And like, oh, there's something going on here. Because every superhero has this moment, don't they? They have the moment where they begin to unlock this power inside of them they didn't know they had. So that's kind of her moment when she meets Ironwood. Miss Ironwood is like, no, you've, you've, got, you've, you've got the gift. You're a seer. Like, whoa, what? You know, you're a wizard, Harry, right? That, that moment... <laughs> When you, uh, I'm, yeah, (laughs) Um, which I, I I love this, uh, I love the meme where Obi-Wan's handing the lightsaber to Luke and he's like, oh yeah, your father murdered a bunch of kids with this and (laughs) he wanted you to have it when you got old enough. But, uh, so Luke finding out that, you know, he's, he's a part of this lineage and, you know, a Jedi and all these, so she's starting to unlock that. And I think that's, that's a cool one because, because Mark never has that. He doesn't have that unlocking moment where he has these supernatural uh, powers. He's he's just he's just a protagonist to move the, the the narrative along, which is is good because you. I think I think we could probably pull on it this way. Maybe maybe I'll prove it to be, be wrong, but I think we pull on it this way. Mark is sort of an innocent man with uh, a man without a chest in a uh, shark filled water with devious men without chest. And so maybe Lewis is pulling and saying, here's somebody who has maliciously, willfully atrophied their chest. And here's someone who just never either wasn't taught or never actually engaged enough to, 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 re- to have that harmony with, with imagination and reason. And you see the difference. The trajectory is going to be the same in the end unless something happens. And so I think that might be something that will... Maybe we'll see come to fruition. Um, maybe not. How, did you, how far did you guys get in, in this? Four on this one. Chapter four? Yeah. I'm around. I'm going to get farther. Did you get it far, Randy? <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 it's my Thanksgiving reading. Mm. So. That's going to be some good reading. Uh, so chapter four, what, what's, uh, what's what Orient? I'm vibing with the abolition of man. Chapter 4 starts off with the liquidation of anachronisms. So this is, this is when Dem- Mrs. Dimble comes over after the, uh, after the invasion. Mm. Of her house. Oh, yes. Okay. The liquidation of what? Uh, liquidation of anachronisms, I think is what it says. Yep, anachronisms. So what do we... What do we uh, are, have we talked about... Um, 
the the wood yet? Have we talked about Bracton? Bracton, Bracton wood, Bragdon Brag. wood, Bragdon and in Bracton, Bragdon and Brockton. And that's how why he wrote that? What does he talk about that later? He does. He talks about that earlier. Yeah, he talk, kind of makes an illusion about how like the families thought, oh, this is right. You know. But I mean, does he mention? Does he elaborate that on that at all later on, or is it just like? Oh, because I, I was like, I wonder why he. This is he makes a point of talking about this. Well, I mean, Bracken and Bracton, and I mean, is it just to show that some people are haughty and like to pretend they're something more than they are? Well, I I, I would say yes because how, how do you get a how do you get? That's everybody at NICE. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's language, right? We're still pulling on language. Well, it sounds similar, so it's equivalent. You know, that's, that could be another language trope that we're looking at here. Oh, uh, it's close enough. I'm going to use this to gain authority and take over this and say, oh, Bracton, Bracton, it's the same. We're, yeah, we're, it's just a mispronunciation or whatever. And so we're still pulling on that language thread uh, through there. I think that's still a, a good thing. Um, I'm having problems remembering right now. Did is did they talk about spending the afternoon in in Bragdon Wood? Yeah. Yeah, he said I spent the. It's I the spent only time the narrator inserts himself. Goes I, yeah. Said yeah. I was there. That I, he apologized for locking me in later, an hour later. That to me, I love that moment of that because he gets lost in the in. It's sort of that that mythological moment where you would. That's the transcendent moment of the book, right there. That's a transcendent moment where he just lays down and cannon fired right there. What is it special about the wood? And he lays down in the wood and he just loses himself in the afternoon. There's something magical about this wood. He doesn't know what it is. The narrator doesn't know what it is. Mark doesn't, they don't care. Somebody knows what it is. NICE knows what it, what it is that they're, that, that's special about the wood. Um, but they don't try, uh, they don't try to publicize that they, that they want the wood or they would never get it, right? And, uh, yeah, well, I'll wait to get into that because I, I think that's, when we get into the deeper the NIC, I think there's some, some really cool stuff to, to pull on that. Um, now, for me, as far as language goes, I think Lewis was on the nose with at least three three things. Withers, frost, well, four, steel, and um, and NICE. Because what do what do tyrannical, diabolical people do? Um, they accuse the other person of doing the thing that they're doing. Or they use terms like uh, the People's Republic, when the people have nothing to do with it, but it sounds N-I-C-E. It sounds nice, right? And so that's a little bit, a little bit on the nose there, um, which I borrowed that from him. I, I, I'm currently writing a, a mystery novel about my thesis, and instead of the N-I-C-E, I call it the K-I-N-D, the King's Institute of Neurological Development. <laughs> So uh, I thought that was, uh, the NICE was, it's on the nose, but it, it, it served a purpose. Anything else about this book that grabbed you guys uh, or something? Uh, you, uh, Shane, you've, you've read ahead. We, we can do a little spoiler alert if, you, if there's something you want to pull on that you read in the chapters ahead. There's something in chapter six, but I left my book at the house. So I'm trying to find it. Okay. Book, All right. Keep looking at it. So anything else, Nina? Anything that's... That uh, so let me ask. I'll ask you a question. Why is this book your favorite? Because I know that you you like this book. I feel like I'll be able to better answer that once I reread it. Um, okay. I th- I always thought I liked it because I was not as um, academic as everyone else. Because I feel like Paralandra, especially, is so philosophical. And then I felt like this book didn't make my brain hurt. Like this one, I understood, and it felt like a thriller of sorts. Um, so it's, to me, I mean, it sounds kind of shallow, but I think I related 
more to what was going on? Maybe because it was not on another planet. I don't know. Well, no, I, th- I think that's very astute because it's a fairy tale. Fairy tales are supposed to be accessible. They're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be out of the realm for for anybody to grab a hold of. I found actually it's weird because I found this, the the language and the setting the least accessible when I first read it. <laughs> like, it and that's what people told or... me again and again. And I don't, I guess I didn't quite. And maybe it's because I have a particular fondness to stories that have to do with anything like this is post World War Two, right? So it this rise of a very Nazi type um, rule happens directly after the hol- or after the World War Two, and um, and I think maybe that had partial because I read I've read a lot of books on that era, and those mean a, a lot to me. And so because it just it, it's this constant like this is what man is capable of, this is what man does, and then they've just learned this sucks that this happened. During World War II, all this stuff happened. Now let's do it ourselves because we're the smart ones. You had a great phrase there. This is what man is capable of. And that is actually what uh, God and Divine Council looked down and said when they were building the Tower of Babel. If we don't do something, look what man's capable of doing. They're, they're going to make it. They're, they're going to find a way to, to we need to, to scramble the language. And so I think that's this is what man is capable of. I, and I, I think that's what fascinates me every time. And like all the disgusting garbage that goes on with NICE and the manipulation and the terror. The head. The, the head. All of it. Yes. So, but, you know, even it's just so representative of all the other times man has tried to um, manipulate and control other man, other men. Mm. And, um, and I think that I've always been very attracted to stories like that. I don't know why. I think it's because I have a very... I don't know. I don't so know. do you like books like 12 Years a Slave and stuff like I've that? I've not so read that one. Okay. But um, I, I read I've mostly like... I've read a lot of stories and uh, with a, mostly, mostly Christians who walked through World War II era. Um, mostly, not all. Um, like whether it's Ellie Weasel... Weasel? Weasel. Um, Corey Tenboom, uh, Evidence Not Seen, can't think of the name of the author there, but all of these who walked with, with, with hope, some hope beyond. Frankel, Dittman. Nanita Dittman, Victor Frankel, all these people who walked through the darkest time, I mean, to, in close history to us, and... I think I've always been so inspired by those stories because it's like, how, how could man be so awful? But also, how did these people walk through that awful time and still come out on the other end as whole human beings, in a sense, with they had some joy and some hope beyond themselves that carried them through? And I think it fascinates me because I struggle in periods of my life when things are going on in the world and I am like, I would, if I, if you pop me right into World War II, I, don't, I mean, if I can't handle what's going on in the world today, how, how would I have ever survived that time? But that's why I read those stories because they always remind me it's possible. And I don't know. I, that's why I, I talk, I mean, if, you ever read anything that I write, it's like I always talk about the saints that walk before us. And um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons I like this book so much. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. I, you know, I'm coming to a similar, I have a similar affinity for stories lately about um, about, about like black Christian voices who mm-hmm. came out of slavery. I mean, mm-hmm. it, is a, it is an incredible testament to the power of the good news that there are there are black Christian churches still thriving in this country and that in many ways are leading the way in a lot of different areas for us. And like, that God broke through slave masters who literally took books out of the Bible mm-hmm. and then handed them a fake one and said, this is what it is. 
And yet God still broke through that. And that's just like that's to me is unbelievable that like you can you like it's just you cannot stop God. He will break through even evil. I think I need that reminder all the time. So good. Yeah, because we West that's why we went overseas and we did that tour of Europe when we visited like seven different concentration camps. I'm like, how do people survive this? And then just even being there in the ruins, you're like I, you can barely stand it. And they were there when it was all breathing life and death. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we at the same period of time, we interviewed uh, several people who lived through the civil rights era. That was black. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Back then when we talked to, because I was on the same hunt, how did people find joy and hope in the midst of that kind of adversity and oppression? And I think any time I read those stories, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's that beyond us too where it reminds us that God breaks through yeah. every bit of darkness every lie every terror of man I mean yeah sometimes man succeeds in his evil deeds and plans but ultimately you can't you can't change what is true yeah there, there was a, a Russian uh, dissident and I don't remember his name <clears throat> but the story it was so impactful to me while he was in prison, you could only read the Stalinist uh, book on Marxism, and you that was the Bible. This was the status. Like this is this is what there's no God. There's the atheist manual of Stalinism and statism. And he said, if there is a God, he is the exact opposite of what's in this book. And he began to read the book. He found God because when he would read something, he was like, God is the opposite of this. God is the opposite of this. And he became a Christian by reading the atheist book of Marxism and Stalinism, and you, you you can't stop God. It's like, C.S. Lewis says, you have to be careful what books you read as a young atheist because they'll, they'll trip you up because uh, God's around every corner. Um, he's the He's the hound of heaven chasing you down, you know, and you can't, you cannot get it. There's always the two hobbits running around, right? There's always, there's always the, uh, um, I mean, I just, we read Madeline Lingle, and and Meg is sitting there with the, the it thing and just what's the one thing that, that destroyed it? It wasn't intelligence, it wasn't power, it wasn't brute force, it was it was love. Yeah. You go, why that sounds love corny. It. But Yeah. That's what's interesting, like just from what I know of this book and then you know, and Lewis in general, and then I read nineteen eighty four, which I think is oftentimes placed side by side with this book because of some of the technocracy kind of concerns and stuff like that. But Lewis apparently was really critical of 1984 and called it repulsive rather than tragic, you know. I mean, there's a sadness that you get in the end of it, but I think it's because of, like, what Dina's saying, like, that just ends on that note where two plus two equals five. And, you know, and I think that this offers something very different. Yeah, there's definitely hope in this in this yeah. book. I think that's the that's the difference. Well, ultimately, good overcomes. Yeah, beauty will save. You know, Solzhenitsyn's like that. Beauty, you, you won't be able to stop it. There'll be you, you can you can try to plug all the holes, mm-hmm. but you you can't. In, in in my in my understanding of evil is that the ancient one, the the bent one, has a limited amount of knowledge. And therefore, he thinks he's covered all the angles, and yet God still breaks through. God says, I'll, I'll use your angle. I'll use your angle to defeat you. If the prince of the world, the prince of the world had known who he, would, who he was, they would not have crucified. The devil's like, I got you. God's like, go, go for it, man. Go for it, because I'm about to rain down. Um, I'm about to reverse everything you've done. And uh, I'm going to use your angle. I'm going to use your bent to bring salvation and, and hope. And so um, I think that's just fantastic. Another, another interesting thing about this story that for me always played in my mind 
is everybody talks about where did Hitler, where did Germany become, where did Hitler get his ideas? He got his ideas from the universities. The, the stuff, the eugenics and all the stuff that he was talking about, the, 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 the pure race and stuff, that was all being taught at the highest levels, the upper echelons in Germany. And, and at that time, the, the German universities were some of the greatest in the world. This was the stuff that was being taught throughout there. And, right. That's, uh, I underlined that part where, is it Feverstone or Feverstone? Feverstone. Feverstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about uh, man's got to take charge of man. Uh, some men have got to take charge of the rest. You and I want to be the people who do the taking charge, not the ones who get or are taken charge of. And he said, what sort of thing you have in mind? Quite simple and obvious things at first. Sterilization of the unfit, liquidation of backward races. We don't want any dead weights. Selective breeding. breeding. Then real education, including prenatal education. By real education, I mean one that has no take-it-or-leave-it nonsense. A real education makes the patient what it wants infallibly. Whatever he or his parents try to do about it. Of course, it'll have to be mainly psychological at first, but we'll get on the biochemical conditioning in the end and direct manipulation of the brain. And I was like... There it is. Just, I mean, obviously, he's telling what he's just experienced. I would assume mm-hmm. from um, Hitler uh, and his Nazis taking over Europe. But um, I think it's important to remember that we were doing that everywhere, including in the U.S. and Britain, that kind of stuff. So, where did Hitler's ideas come from? They came from us, in a way. Well, I mean, where, where do all ideas come from? They come from the they come from the the intellectual elites, yeah. and they say, "Well, do this. This is the thing you need to do. This you need to do this," um, and that's that's where most of the power is is is, is centralized. Um, yes. Yeah, so you were you're reading we're that talking about uh, Hitler and the universities. Um, yes, he got his education, and that's you know, of course, Lewis is. Alluding to that, I would imagine. So, um, what I was going to say is, this reminds me of Jordan Peterson saying, I was a young socialist. He goes, and we were going to change the world, but we were going to start with everyone else. Right? And that, that is, it's for your own good. It's for your own good. The language of villains, it's for your own good. Every time I see a villain coming out, they're like, we're, we're going we're gonna to make things better. It's for your own good. As Randy pointed out, the U.S. US was doing that too. Now, what, so, because centralized power, concentrated power creates this notion of, oh, I know better than you. Let me take care. I, I, I'm going to do this for your own good. Oh, yeah, I'm going to sell you horses into, into slavery and I'm sell you Narnians into slavery. It's, it's for your own good. That's, and so anytime you start to hear that stuff, I just, I red flag and check that and go, hmm, let me see your, let me see what comes out of this. Let me see what your behavior is because that language is, is, is a Thanos language, right? And I just, and so, I think though too, there's there's another. There's, it's not like just that though, because like with 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 Hitler, it was really self-interest was was what drove most of his mm. stuff, and and then same with other you know, same with other tyrants and and so on. Like I was just listening to guy interesting, uh, interesting. Cuban guy talking about the disaster of uh, the Cuban Revolution and Castro and all that. Um, and Castro was a genius, um, actually. Like that time that he fooled the, the American reporters into thinking that they were like had a humongous army by having them walk around them in circles and not knowing that they were just circling back around and just looked like one continuous line and then. They reported the American papers reported on it, and then the, and then the uh, guy who's currently in power thought that that was real, and, and then just left because he thought that they had a little power. But he talked about Castro's bent, which was more often than not <clears throat> um, yeah, tell me what you want. Okay, I'll do that thing. And then he would kind of do that thing, and really behind the closed doors, he was just doing everything for himself. But he was living in luxury while the rest of his people were actually living in abject poverty. Um, just it was. So I, th- I, th- I think you're. That's that's a, that's a great point to to bring up because um, somebody asks 
Jordan Peterson one time about Hitler. He's like, well, you know, Hitler didn't win the war. And you go, you're assuming that was his goal. Hey, we were talking about this last week or week before. Did I talk about this? I think so. Um, I talk about this a lot because it's just so... Eh. It just like was that was that Hitler's goal, or was Hitler's goal to set Europe on fire and just bring as much suffering and destruction as he could? Because if that was his goal, he he did that, and so um, because you but you also start to hear the language of a, year, a thousand a thousand year reign and all this kind of stuff, and I think I'm going to throw a little. Uh, I, I mentioned in my email, um, I think there's a little bit of. Uh, corrupted ancient wisdom in a lot of these tyrants. And I think you'll see the, for me, I think there's, there's a little bit of Nephilim uh, in, in that hideous strength that I think we'll get to later on in the book that's, that uh, strikes me is when I start to hear the language of thousand year rules and, and these kinds of things, you go, one man's not smart enough to pull all that together, right? There's, there's some stuff going on. There has to be, there has to be some, some ancient technology, some ancient thinking, some ancient strategies going on here that are beyond, that are transcendent of this person, just a vessel in that sense for some of this stuff. So some of it is the depravity of man when you let man go. But I think some of there's, I think there's another, another layer there. And uh, especially when you get in, when you read this and you get in, you hear, uh, um, uh, Strake and, 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 and you start hearing some of the stuff that they talk about and you go, Oh yeah, this is, this is deeper. So, but these are, uh, I don't know about Hitler's motivations though, because if he was doing that, then he was stocking up a lot of art and, and preparing a lot of, uh, things for himself that seem to be very counter to the idea that I'm just going to give it a go and, and all this, like he was, and he had all sorts of plans for like what he was going to do with different locations. Like he invested tons of money in, into into like designing different parts of the Mediterranean for how he was going to like power the the whole European continent by hydroelectric power by blocking out the Mediterranean Sea and stuff like this. Like he was he was long term thinker. I don't know if that was his ultimate goal. Although I'm not. I'm sure. I think honestly. Hearing about some of his early stuff, like, dude, was, he was really smart, but he was kind of crazy. Like, yeah. he, was, he had a lot of mental problems. Um, so that could... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that is... And again, so you, you pull on that, and you see people who have these multiple... You know, it may be, maybe he had multiple personalities, or maybe he had schizophrenia, or just, just crazy. So you, you wonder sometimes how much of that is just human depravity how much of that is influence yeah that i mean that is a good question like how much of it comes just basically straight up like demonic not necessarily in the way that we often westernize demonic yes. activity but just like there's there's more to it than than we seem to think i think and there's also the faith science aspect is not exclusive. Exactly. And so I think we'll get into that later. That, we're going to pull on these threads a lot in this book. Yeah. That right there is going to, going to come through. So I think we're setting that up for a, for a good spot to, to end that we're, we're going to get into um, all these things. So uh, a very relevant book uh, as well as most of Lewis's stuff is pretty, pretty relevant. Um, well, that's not, were we talking about that last week? The... Um, how a lot of people call his work prophetic. Are we talking about that here? I think you and I were talking about that. Oh, you and I were talking about it. We were talking about it. Oh, I yes. forgot. Yes, that's, that's why we... A lot of people are, you know, say how prophetic his his books and his writings are, but really he was just talking about the time he was living in. History and, repeats. And it's, yeah, exactly. And it's like history repeats. Like, obviously, I'm sure he understood that probably better than most. But he was talking about what was happening when he was living. But if you follow a line of logic and you and you lay it out correctly and you prioritize the information in the correct thing, you're going to you're going to nail the conclusion. If you do the math, if you do the equation correctly, you're going to get the right answer. So it doesn't matter if you're standing here or you look into the future. If you can calculate the trajectory correctly, you're going to hit you're going to hit the mark. And that's what writing that has a prescriptive 
a very good prescriptive, very good descriptive, will be predictive in the end. Um, I mean, Huxley's proven to be, uh, you know, um, uh, Orwell and Huxley and all these things. You're starting to see some of the stuff. Why? Because they could, they had a, a, the right prescription and the right description. And when you put those together correctly, you actually come out with a predictive notion of this is what could happen. And sometimes it's self-fulfilling and sometimes it's just human nature. But if you ask me, I think a lot of this is, it repeats itself because the enemy doesn't sleep. He's going to keep, he's going to keep trying to, uh, uh, keep trying to do this. Um, I think it also repeats itself in almost, you know, in almost ways that we, that are difficult to detect while you're in them too. Um, Absolutely. In more complex ways than, than even like a, a prophetic a prophetic text will, will claim. Like I mean, like you read Isaiah, for example, like it's pretty clear, but it's not spot on, right? Know? And like uh, it's so much more beautifully complex when it actually happens. But it's uh, it's easier to look back and say, "Oh, that's prophetic," yeah. than it is to be in the middle of it and go, "Oh, this is happening right now." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. All right. Well, I think we can end it here for tonight. This has been a good introduction on the anniversary of C.S. Lewis's death, Aldous Huxley's death, and JFK, one of the most popular presidents probably in American history. <laughs> well, let's say top, at least top five, top six in there. Top forty. Top forty. <laughs> I would I would say I top forty. So. Yeah. I right. really hope so. Well, this has been uh, VFF at Drinklings Coffee House in Wilmore, Kentucky. And we'll see you next week. Further up? Further in. Further in.